Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action Wisconsin. Uh, Matt Brusky is away this week, so I am guest hosting, and I'm with our usual panel panelist, uh, Rebecca Lynch, the Deputy Director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party. So thanks for being here, Rebecca. Good, as always, to be here, Robert. We will have a later feature on Inside the Foxconn Scandal, what it feels like for a local elected official who's also a citizen action organizer to actually be on the receiving end of the great Foxconn gift horse. But before that, we want to do a couple segments. We want to check in. We haven't had a chance to do this. On the developing presidential primary, the Democratic side, which is getting a lot of attention, it's a wide open field, and there are an amazing number of candidates. Uh, so in order to do this, we're going to kind of go in the order of current polling, though we're not going to, we're going to try very hard to be equitable and not to spend too much time on any one candidate. Uh, but the most recent poll that we, that we have in front of us uh, has uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders tied for first, followed by Camilla Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Mayor Pete, the mayor of South Bend, uh, Hickenlooper, Castro, Inslee, and finally Gildebrand. So that is a lot of candidates. So Rebecca, let's start with Joe Biden. He is certainly a well-known commodity. Uh, he's gone out of his way recently to say that he, he pales to no one in his progressive credentials. So he is adopting the progressive label strongly, but also kind of running on the he knows how to get things done as if other progressives don't potentially because they're too progressive. And, uh, and they're spinning out there that it would be like a third term for Obama. Don't know if the listeners think that's a great idea, but the closest you get to that. So what is your take on Joe Biden? He's all but announced without announcing. Well, maybe I'll just start by giving my take on this poll, which is that polls are just a snapshot in time, if they're even that. And so it's no surprise that uh, former Vice President Biden is polling at the top because people know who he is. Uh, but so it's I, just a test of name recognition. It's a test of name recognition. And I think, uh, you know, to speak to, to your question about whether or not it's true that he has got these great progressive credentials and he can get things done and that he's he's the best candidate. Well, first, let me say, I think all of these candidates are very strong vis-a-vis -vis President Trump. I think that we have a great field. We have a lot of really um, visionary, like competent people who represent a large cross-section of America. And it's a very exciting and we're already beginning to have really exciting conversations. And I think whoever the nominee is, we are going to be in our best position to win back the White House. So I'm thrilled about that. And I think that's true of all of them, including um, Vice President Biden. I do think that he has had the luxury of um, being, you know, President Obama's best friend in chief of being like the subject of memes and nice jokes and good feelings and not the scrutiny that is typically lodged at people who are front runners to be actually the president and not the vice president. And I think, you know, if you look at his role with the crime bill, if you look at uh, his history when it comes to issues of whether it's like you know, uh, Anita Hill and things he voted on or just um, saying weird things to women when he's taking photographs with him. I think there's a lot he hasn't been asked to answer for. And so I think, you know, the the spotlight of the presidential race can be harsh and unforgiving. And we haven't seen that effect yet on his poll numbers. So that's a great point. We'll see what happens. And in previous presidential runs, he did not stand up well to scrutiny. We had plagiarism charges, other things that sunk previous candidacies. But he was 
kind of rehabilitated by his vice presidential years, which is unusual. Most VPs actually get buried, but he managed to develop this strong relationship with President Obama and get a lot of credit for the administration. Yeah, and I definitely don't want to take away from Joe Biden. I think he's somebody who speaks movingly to the challenges that are faced by folks living across the country and in many different areas, but certainly, you know, in in working class areas, that's something that he tried to emphasize when he last ran for president. Um, I think he, he brings a lot to the table and to the discussion, but I think that he should not be so bullish on being the front runner right now because I think there's no such thing this early in the game. So co-front runner in the poll I'm looking at, and it goes back and forth, is Bernie Sanders, certainly a well-known commodity, shook up the 2016 race, has changed the whole agenda in many ways, quite frankly, is more responsible than any single person in driving politics to the left and making all the Democrat candidates uh, take positions, a lot of them on very bold progressive policy, much more than we've seen in decades, probably back to the 70s at least that we've seen this, uh, since kind of the post-Watergate reform Democratic Party that was big money came into being, quite frankly. And so what do you think of Bernie Sanders 2.0? Can he recapture the incredible grassroots energy that he had before when he raised more money through individual donations than Hillary did through big Wall St money, Wall Street, pharma, et cetera? I don't know. I mean, there's certainly, based on small dollar donations alone, a lot of enthusiasm that continues into this presidential cycle from the last for Senator Sanders and his campaign. And I think he is um, clearly running to win based on how he's staffing up and, you know, the people that he has around him, either chairing his campaign or working for it. I think that he, you know, like again, he has the political infrastructure, he has the name recognition, he has the small dollar support already, which both are the resources to run an effective campaign this early on, but also indicate some grassroots support. Uh, but I think he is going to have to fight for every vote, um, just like every candidate is. You know, it's a very different race than before. And you, you say it all the time, Robert, but there's a huge difference between running as the not Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. um, as there is to trying to distinguish yourself in a crowded field of lots of people who are to the left and right and up and down of you. And one of the big changes, Rebecca, is, you know, Bernie's big downfall in the primaries in 2016. And just to uh, you know, admission, I was on the platform committee representing Bernie, uh, one of the two from Wisconsin, so I was certainly a Bernie supporter, but he did not do well with people of color voters, and that and that sunk him, especially in the southern primaries. And in Wisconsin, he won every county other than the county that's the most diverse, Milwaukee County. And so he's hired up a lot of people of color staff. He says he's going to focus much more on race than before and that, he, that he's evolved. Uh, what do you think the potential of him being more appealing uh, to African-American, Latino, and, and, and other people of color voters, uh, it, there is here for Bernie and, and the new Bernie in the 2020. Well, I, I don't think I'm super qualified to answer that, not being a person of color. Mm -hmm. I do think that uh, what I've seen from my vantage point is that Bernie is who Bernie is, and he believes what he believes. And, you know, he doesn't not speak about race, and he doesn't not acknowledge the impact that race has on policies, on people's lives, but he he doesn't center it. Um, in fact, he purposefully does not center it. Mm -hmm. And that is consistent throughout his career and, and through both runs, including now. And I think that um, that is something that the electorate is very different now than it was in 2016 and then, it, then it's been in the past. I think um, the Democratic electorate is very clear that, you know, we're having a full-throated conversation about reparations right now in this mm -hmm. election. 
This is not on the Democratic side. On the Democratic side, you know, this is not 2016, and so I think um, that that to me is a huge question. You know, um, to see to see how he continues to whether he can find his footing in acknowledging the role that race has in in the systems that are set up and and seeming authentic in wanting to ch- take on that challenge. You know. So, and I don't know if we, we may have to bridge this into the next section, but this, um, the next candidate in the poll, number three, uh, has really burst onto the scene, relatively new state senator, Kamala, um, U.S. Senator Kamala Harris, former attorney general of California, the, uh, the first person of color in terms of vote getting, the first one we've gotten to on this list. A lot of people think that she might be the person to beat and that she can recapture the Obama magic of 2008, that she's a new kind of Obama. Uh, and she has been much more careful on issues, actually, and has a, has a history that is not exactly as, as left as the electorate seems to be in this primary right now. Uh, but what is your take? She's obviously extremely capable, extremely talented. Her launch event in Oakland was extremely impressive. Yeah, her launch was impressive. She is impressive. Uh, she has a, a ton of experience. A long record is, you know, clearly brilliant. Um, I think that you know there are there's scrutiny certainly on the left um, from many sections of the left when it comes to her record on um, you know uh, public safety. I guess you could call it um, when it comes to her record on a whole list of things. So we we can talk about some more. But I do think that. What we are seeing this cycle, and I know we're running out of time in this segment, but I'll maybe just end by saying that what we are seeing this cycle is what we have seen in the past, where there is so much more scrutiny on women and people of color and their policy ideas and their their ah, experience than on the white men who are running. I mean, we just talked about, you know, Joe Biden d- doesn't seem to be facing the same level of scrutiny. Maybe not. Maybe you disagree. But I think that's something that we're beginning. I think we're beginning to notice. Yeah, there's a lot with Biden about how he's going to apologize for previous uh, policy positions. So but it's interesting. We'll see. He hasn't really announced. Uh, But that's that's an interesting question. I think you're right. Often women, people of color candidates face harder questions than the established white male candidates. So I think that's a great point to look at. And so we'll continue talking about Kamala Harris on the other side. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. This is Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, joined by Rebecca Lynch, the Deputy Director of the Working Families Party. We're working our way through the presidential uh, primary candidates on the Democratic side. And we've talked about Joe Biden. We've talked about Bernie Sanders. We were in the middle of Kamala Harris when we reached the break. And uh, Rebecca, I think you were going to talk about, as impressive she is, some of the challenges she faces around her record, especially as attorney general and especially given uh, the position of uh, increasingly strong position against mass incarceration and uh, with it with among Democratic primary voters. Yeah, I mean, I think the ground is shifting from beneath all these candidates. And I think, you know, um, uh, Senator Harris, a uh, former attorney general, you know, position she's taken in the past. Um, are going to come back to haunt her, and she's going to have to talk about them, and I think she already is. So one that just pops you know, into my head is when she suggested that maybe we should be arresting parents of truant students um, as some kind of solution um, to truancy and, and all the issues related to that. You know, I think I, I want to hear what she says about her past positions 
as much as I want to hear about what she says we should be doing now, I think that she is um, certainly saying a lot of things in line with what I agree with on criminal justice reform, on issues of social justice, on investing in communities. Um, and then she, she comes short of saying some things that I, I would want to hear. So I, she is incredibly impressive. I, I see her very much as a front runner in this race. And I think she's evolving. I mean, I think Biden and uh, Sanders are more uh, set quantities in a lot of ways because uh, she seems to have veered in some cases, I mean, very professionally, but she started out very bold on Medicare for All and said we would abolish private insurance. And that was actually further than the public really is. They don't, most people don't know that Medicare for All, if you took a single payer system, would mean no private insurance. And so there was pushback against that. So then she kind of temporized. I know on uh, Elizabeth Warren, who we're going to get to later, when she put out uh, you know, wanting, wanting to get rid of the Electoral College. Camilla Harris didn't say yes, like some other candidates. Uh, uh, she actually said uh, that she was open to it, which is a very measured position. So it'd be interesting to see if she is pushed by the field to be more aggressive on policy or whether she continues to see, uh, to try to take a kind of middle ground. That'll be interesting to see as she evolves as a candidate. Yeah, and I'll just say quickly on Senator Harris, you know, she is certainly running to win. She was in Wisconsin this past cycle, helping to get out the vote for um, now Governor Evers. She is in Texas, I think, today. And she comes from California. And for folks who are listening and don't know, California has moved up their presidential primary. So if yeah. I'm not mistaken, I think they're now part of Super Tuesday. And yes. I think, you know, she obviously that's a huge boost for her, I believe. Um, but she's not only competitive in her home state, she's competitive in a lot of places. So she's certainly, I think, a front runner to, to secure the nomination. And then running neck and neck with her fourth place candidate. A lot of people think it's about the top five, but I think this is very fluid fourth one is, has burst onto the scene uh, recently because he's announced is Beto O'Rourke. Very interesting, Beto. Uh, you know, he has a Latino name because he's from a very Latino area, El Paso, but he's an Irish guy, okay, hence the last name. But he's an extremely charismatic politician. Uh, he won election to Congress by taking out an entrenched incumbent and just is almost unheard of in primaries with the whole Dem establishment against him. He almost took down... Uh, in Texas, when Texas is not right to go blue, uh, you know, uh, Santa Cruz. And so, and if you see his launch and see his career, this guy is incredibly charismatic. He might even be a generational talent. It's a little bit less clear what he stands for. He sounds very progressive in some ways. He won't take any direct, any PAC money or big interest money. It's all small donor. He outraised Bernie in his first 24 hours, which is shocking. Uh, but unclear whether he's a moderate, whether he's a strong progressive, or what he is. He, he's sort of in different positions. Seems to be quite strong, though, about the wall and immigration issues, which would make sense being from El Paso. But what, what is your take on him? I think it's really telling that the two candidates to raise the most money so far from the most donors are white men. You know, and I think that's something I'd really love to hear um, folks dig into more. It's not an original thought that I had. I saw it somewhere else, but I, I would like to see someone dig into that. I mean, I, I think he is um, somebody who is getting a lot of points in the media for his, quote, style. Um, and there's like lots of really funny articles and memes about him standing on counters and, you know, questions raised about like, well, how would we respond to Senator Elizabeth Warren standing on counters? Probably not quite the same way. Right. Um, right. But, uh, you know, he's yeah, he, I, I don't know. He's he's burst onto the scene. Um, I think w one of the things that's really interesting is that 
that I've seen are a lot of parallels drawn to him, Stacey Abrams, and Andrew Gillum. And as of now, neither Stacey nor Andrew are running for president. And, you know, Stacey Abrams is uh, launching, like, huge, you know, voter registration, continuing, to, I mean, it's her lifelong kind of organizing, but continuing to launch that. Andrew Gillum is doing a lot of work in the state. So, you know, they, they barely lost their elections due to voter suppression and are going back into the trenches to help build infrastructure, whereas Beto barely lost. And it's like, well, I think I'll run for president now. Um, that's right. a whole other conversation we could have another time, yeah. So then the fifth candidate, and there's kind of a big break-off in polling after the fifth, so there really is a big five at the moment. We'll see if that changes. It's Elizabeth Warren. Got a lot of traction this week over calling for abolishing the Electoral College. She's got a lot of traction generally for coming out. She's come up with the most new policy. She's extremely creative. She is, obviously, she and Bernie are contending for the, being the strongest candidates in terms of policy, progressive policy, right? And... Uh, Quite frankly, they have a different style in some ways, but Elizabeth has a very deep understanding of corporate power, corporate dominance, and how you would break it down. I mean, she's campaigning on breaking up you know, the, the, major media, the major tech companies, for example, right? And in fact, got banned from Facebook with an ad calling for that, and then when they called them out, they had to put it back on, just for example. So I don't know. Some people think that you can't, there's not enough oxygen for both Bernie and Elizabeth. Uh, what do you think? And is it even right just to talk about those two as a polarity? I think that, you know, this week has showed that there's plenty of oxygen for Senator Warren. You know, she just had a CNN town hall in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. She said, I came to the Delta to talk about housing. She came out in support of reparations and a bill in the House to kind of to really explore that and t spoke, I think, for pretty forcefully, she could go farther, but um, pretty forcefully about the need to have a real national reckoning around our history with the with the slave trade and how how we treat the genocide that's occurred in this country. She, as you mentioned, talked about breaking up Amazon, Facebook, these big monopolies. She called for the abolition of the electoral college. Uh, she is taking very strong positions. I and she's and she's getting she's getting coverage for it. Uh, I see traction on social media. I see traction in the in the mainstream media and cable news. I mean, I think that there is oxygen for Senator Warren, and you know, I think that the more exposure she gets and the more debates there are, the better she's going to do. So we're getting towards the end of this discussion. We'll return to the presidential candidates uh, in, in future weeks on Battleground Wisconsin, but let's do really quick takes on the people who are further down the poll but still registering in the poll. So you're from the New York area. Cory Booker. Oh, Cory Booker. Wow, I forgot about him. Um, <laughs> you know, Cory Booker, um, certainly a super strong candidate, has real ability to gain some traction. Uh, I, You know, his record is not loved by progressives on a whole host of things, but certainly including big pharma. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how Charter schools, Wall Street. Yep. But run to the left, taking he's on for Green New Deal, so he's signing on to the major progressive platform planks. So it should be interesting to see, obviously, like we said, Elizabeth Bernie, obviously competing for oxygen with Camilla Harris. Uh, and, and, in fact, the Harris campaign strategy is to get him out of the race so she can be, you know, consolidate African-American votes. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, she's common sense. She's like the only, she might be the only I'm not a progressive candidate that's, uh, that's getting much polling traction. Yeah, I mean, Senator Klobuchar is uh, running. Uh, she was she was in Eau Claire uh, right after she had announced uh, the senator from Minnesota. Uh, you know, she's gotten some bad press for being difficult to work for, um, which is a little bit gendered, but also sounds like she might be 
not the greatest person to work for. It's unclear. Um, having not worked for her, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to say. But, you know, I think she's, she's someone who folks are definitely paying attention to. Okay. Actually registering in this poll, three points, which is moving up, is uh, Mayor Pete from South Bend. Pete Buttig, I think it's pronounced. CNN is pronouncing him the hot new candidate. And he is married and gay and uh, is doing very well on the talk show circuit. The talk show host, the Joe Scarboroughs of the world, are extremely impressed. Any thoughts on him? It's interesting that he's gotten any traction at all. South Bend mayor is not usually a stepping stone to a presidential candidacy. I'm I'm told by producer Brian that he's a Rhodes Scholar and was in the military. Um, was he also on an episode of Queer Eye? I I think he might have been. I'm not totally sure. They know they had some small time error. Clearly, I know nothing about him, so we'll have to learn some more. Okay, so that's all interesting. Someone to watch certainly. Uh, we have, and, and we'll just throw these out. We have very little time. If you have any thoughts on Hickenlooper, Julian Castro, Jay Inslee. Uh, Sandra Gildebrand. Uh, excited about Castro. Um, you know, want to see what he brings to the table, and I hope that he's able to participate in some debates because I think he's a really interesting candidate with some good positions. Uh, Senator Gildebrand was my senator um, when I lived in New York, and she is um, she has a lot of money. Uh, she has about ten million dollars, I think, from her Senate reelection campaign that she could roll over. Um, she's gonna, you know, like all of these candidates, have to have to answer for past positions. And when she first was elected to Congress, she was elected for being a little bit to the right of the Democratic Party. And now she's trying to run to the left of it, I think, for president. So we'll, we'll see how she um, reconciles that. And we're about out of time, but I'll just say it's interesting that Jay Inslee is running entirely on climate. And we'll see if a single-issue candidate, though it's the whole species, right, uh, whether a single-issue candidate can get traction. At the very least, he's probably doing a great public service by raising the climate issue. But interesting to see whether he can get more traction. He does have a serious record on it, too. He didn't just jump on this issue. So that's all we have time for for this. We will come back with our special segment on what it's like to be a local elected official with Foxconn landing on you. This is Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground, Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And we have in this segment, the next two segments, a very special guest who's going to be able to give us insights into what's really going on with all of that digging in western Racine County for the alleged Foxconn plant. We have uh, Fabi Maldonado, who is, he was at the Working Families Party until recently, and uh, he is now Citizen Action's Milwaukee co-op organizer. So, Fabi, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. I'm very grateful to be here. Yeah, we're grateful to have you here, both at Citizen Action and on Battleground Wisconsin, and will not be your last appearance. <laughs> uh, but in addition, the reason I promote you as having an kind of a bird's eye view of Foxconn is, is that you are also on the Racine County Board and you actually won election in April of 2018, which was just a couple months before they started tearing up the ground and uh, for this plant. That's, that's right? Right, that's correct. So this must be, I mean, we've seen all the headlines, we've seen all the back and forth. As you know, Citizen Action was adamantly opposed on the day this was <laughs> announced and I waited the 10 hours to testify against it in Madison uh, late into the night when 
average people were allowed to talk. After all, the business leaders got up and told us how this is the most incredible thing since sliced bread, by right, the way. Right. The ones who are supposed to understand how the economy works and the media and politicians <laughs> act like they do. But we're, as we speak now, currently, we don't know. Any day there could be a new breaking news from an Asian business journal. They claim the plant's on. And uh, Terry Gao, the CEO of Foxconn, sent out Louis Wu, Mr. Wu, to tell us all of this. And it, But it's going to be the smaller screens, which is probably far fewer jobs. But anyway, but to back up, we mm -hmm. think this is on, but in the time we're, we're recording this and uh, when we actually uh, this actually goes live, who knows? It might be off again, but right. which is a real problem for the people of Racine. But tell me what it was like at the beginning uh, in 2018. I assume this was a major focus and obsession of the Racine County Board when you arrived. Right. Uh, I mean, even to this day, the, the only question that I usually get is Foxconn. Like, what's going on with Foxconn? Like, what is happening behind Foxconn? And what are they telling you at, you know, at the county board about Foxconn? Um, and the reality is, like, I, we don't really get too much information on Foxconn, at least, uh, at least uh, information that I'm not aware of. It's pretty much, um, pretty much what people see online, like in the news, in the media, is pretty much what we usually get, too. Right. So like this whole story about like we're going to get these jobs and then actually we're, they're not going to be doing these jobs. And like this whole big yo-yo game that's going on in the media, essentially, is, you know, the same experience I'm 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 seeing. But yeah, like when we when I first got elected, it's pretty much every, every like the, the community came up to to my to me and a couple of supervisors who who also won, who were also questioning Foxconn. Um, and they bring concerns, and people are always coming up to us talking about, um, can you make sure that you know they have hiring agreements, hiring contracts for Racine County for people of color, for women, and you know, there's not much. As a, there wasn't much at when I first got elected, um, to hold this corporation accountable to. So it was, it's, it was, it's a very interesting situation right now. So you'd, you're, you pointed out you don't have any inside information. You would think that when you're dealing with all the land use issues, the people facing imminent domain, right, uh, the question of are you, is the county and the, the various uh, towns and cities involved actually spending close to a billion dollars is something that might not even happen, right? But it sounds like you're kind of flying dark. You're getting the same information and spin we're getting from Governor Walker's jobs agency right. <laughs> and, and various uh, business leaders who are just boomers for the project, et cetera. That, that, I mean, that's that's correct. Like, it's just um, it's very interesting that you, you know, it, you would think that the size of this deal, this historic deal in Wisconsin that we'd be in constant communication with this, you know, this entity. And the reality is like, I mean, I think we've, we've been briefed maybe twice, three times tops um, at the county board about Foxconn. I would, I really would love to have a conversation um, with like Foxconn people themselves and not just like some county board, uh, county, Racine County, you know, pr communication person. So, I mean, this shows the power imbalance, this multinational corporation, right? You're supposed to represent people, right. but you're not giving information whatsoever. Um, so I think that reflects 
this whole economic strategy, which is to trust these big economic entities that really, I mean, could care less, really, at the end of the day about Racine. But let me, let me back up a little. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there were a lot of Democrats and self-described progressives in the Racine area, especially, who have supported this because Racine has been terribly deindustrialized. Right. It has a lot of economic challenges. For a long time, maybe it still does, but close, it has, it's either had the highest unemployment rate or the close to in That's the state correct. for a long time. That's correct. And so some have come around to saying, well, we just need to do something, and this is the only thing on the table, and therefore come around and supported it. What is your take on it? In other words, and obviously you had a take when you ran for office as well. It probably influenced you being elected. But what is your take on this as someone who cares about Racine County and is committed to it, uh, but here's this huge, apparently huge economic promise? So two things. So... The temp, I guess, like the first part of I think where you're asking is like, what was the temperature like of like the community when Fox? Yeah, because that's the yeah. context for what you think and you're being elected right. and then what you're trying to do there. Right. So like the I guess the originally the temperature in Racine County was, I think more people were like hopeful. They were very like, yeah, this is this is good. Like this is really gonna, you know, change Racine. I originally ran for mayor before I even ran for county board. And mostly because I wanted to, you know, I've, I talked about this to y'all before, you know, I'm most, I'm big into issues, right? But, but not with all our battleground Wisconsin listeners. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> originally, yeah, I ran for mayor in 2017, uh, to essentially push a, a decriminalization effort for cannabis, uh, stopping an arena project in the city of Racine. We we're going to spend millions in this development project that had no access uh, to the highway and, um, you know, our community is, like you said before, one of the worst places for employment. And originally, the city of Racine is proposing an, an ice hockey arena. So, you know, I was against that as well. And we changed the narrative on that, and we ended up st stopping that project, passing cannabis. Um, but then also, I was the only candidate at the time to be adamantly against Foxconn. Um, my concerns were uh, just as the ones they are at, like right now. Uh, we are, again... Um, selling out to a corporation. We know what happens when a corporation comes into a community. It's like, you know, it's not rock and science. It's like, this is, we have data, we have stats on what happens before. And also Foxconn itself has a terrible track record. Um, so yeah, it, originally it, people were more pro Foxconn um, in Racine County. Um, so it wasn't a very popular stance. Um, from the beginning but there was it was there were still a lot of people that were spectacle but a lot of more hopeful people for sure and is it sort of like any plan is better than no plan right that was the that was the feel right and um i would bring up concerns and people like yeah but like we don't have nothing in racing right that's like the feeling that people uh have so yeah like you know i think that the way the, this Foxconn deal was made is that, you know, they're the Foxconn, um, you know, Terry and, and his crew were looking for a community because I know they they were competing. The There was a couple of cities in America that were competing to have this Foxconn project. And I... There was something in Ohio, I know. Atlanta. There was, okay. a, there was, a, there was a handful of cities. It wasn't quite like Amazon. Right. Uh, <laughs> sweepstakes. Right, right. But yeah, there was a... There was a there were, people were competing for this. You know, municipalities were... And because, you know, here in Mount Pleasant, the elected officials there were essentially, you know, 
I guess, making room for it, you know, not really questioning too much. They really wanted this project because, you know, I, I want them to believe that deep down in their hearts they want to do it because they know that our community struggles, but it's just not the, the it's, it wasn't the most thought out uh, plan, I believe. And yeah, they, they came here because our community was desperate. So, and they're, in that, they're no worse than the Walker officials, like the CEO of WEDEC, his privatized jobs agency, uh, Mr. Hogan, who literally said in response to them changing the plan and perhaps not, you know, not creating made jobs, that he trusted them to know what was best economically. Like, literally, whatever, fo whatever is good for Foxconn is good for Wisconsin and good for Racine seems to be the attitude of the Walker administration. Right. Uh, again, that's... Uh very wishful thinking um we we have like track records like we could actually research stuff you know their track record um the fact that they're constantly you know not fulfilling their their statements their promises should be a red flag right off the bat and then also like um you know flat screens technology it it's been proven to be that it could become obsolete very quickly so i just i don't think the mount pleasant racing county really thought this one out right and i think it's it's the act of desperation so i want to and by the way that's our economic situation there there'll be a lot more fox cons if we don't change our economic approach but we are going to a break but when we come back on battleground wisconsin i want to dig in more as to with you about whether the, people's view has been changing or their faith has been challenged by what's been going on. So we'll be right back with Fabio Maldonado on Battleground Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back. Uh, last segment, we were uh, discussing with Fabi Maldonado, the Foxconn deal. He's both a Racine County supervisor, so has had an up-close and personal view of what's been going on, but he is also the new Milwaukee organizing co-op organizer for Citizen Action of Wisconsin. So, Fabi, you were talking about how uh, local officials in Mount Pleasant, Racine County, others like the city of Racine, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Mayor Mason, et cetera, have taken this position that there's no other alternative for Racine. What has been the reaction Racine? Because it's, it's kind of, I've been getting, kind of getting whiplash about how many news reports there are that there'll be no deal, that the changes to the plant means you won't even get the 13,000 job promise. Uh, then they, the, the reports they were pulling out, lots of media coverage, and they weren't pulling out. Now they're currently not pulling out. Mr. Wu was sent by CEO Terry Gao to assure everyone they're not pulling out and, and that the ground will be broken in 2020. But who the heck knows? So right. have all these twists and turns, how, what kind of impact that had on the leaders and then average people in, in Racine County? Um, I definitely believe that leaders are more, uh, they're more spectacle now. They're definitely, uh, they're definitely, their, their, their sense of like hope, their sense of, um, uh, their positive attitude towards like this could be a game changer for Racine has definitely shifted. Um, and it doesn't help that, you know, Foxconn has pretty much been non-existent in terms of like transparency and like communicating with us. Um, but I, I feel like some elected officials start sweating it now. Um, people, I, I, the, the, the feeling I get now is just like the community is just taking 
everything like it was a grain of salt, right? Because we just don't know uh, what is going to happen. They've been saying, we're coming, uh, we're going to do this, we're not going to do this, actually we're going to backpedal on this. And I think the people are just starting to realize, like, this, this is not what they originally thought this was going to be. And what happens? Let's say we speculated on Battleground Wisconsin that uh, Walker just wanted to keep going to get reelected, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't become the net positive he wanted, but it still couldn't blow up on him. And he almost won re-election. And, of course, he lost it on health care. But Foxconn, <laughs> if, it, if Fox had pulled out, he would have lost by a much larger margin. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like Trump needs it to stay. I mean, he lost the Lordstown plant. He's yelling at GM about closing the Chevy Cruze plant in Lordstown, Ohio, and demanding they reopen it. His whole narrative is about bringing manufacturing back. And Foxconn is about one of the few things he can even point to, and it doesn't even really exist. You wonder, since there's speculation that Foxconn is simply trying to hedge itself with Trump uh, about the trade war with China to not be harmed by it and has no intention of moving forward, right? So it's possible this is being kept alive until the end of the 2020 election. And when Trump loses, which will probably happen in my view, they'll pull out, right? So let's say that happens. Let's say they keep it going. We keep getting these stories. Maybe they build a little bit. But then local government, Mount Pleasant, Racine County, City of Racine, I think that there's a almost, it's $850 million or something. You'd know the more precise number. It's upwards, getting closer to a billion dollars of investments in, in areas that are not wealthy areas. And it's for something that, if, if it's for something that doesn't exist, what happens? I mean, how, how, are those, how, how are those TIFs and debt obligations even repaid? So that is a big concern of mine, Robert. Um, the fact that this thing is now in our backyard, um, like, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we hold this thing accountable? Like, the moment we, you know, we try to do, we try to put any resistance to it, uh, our colleagues say we can't really do that because then they're not going to build, right? So like, we're trapped in this like this ongoing circle where it's like Stockholm syndrome, you have to like, uh, you're, you're, you're the captor and you, right. you come to identify with your captor because you're dependent upon them. Right. And like, like, so as you know, like there's this, this big news right now is like this new KR expansion that's going on right now in Racine and other, uh, and that's a highway expansion, like a highway kind of, what do you call it? A spur. Right. right? It's between Kenosha and Racine. Um, and essentially what they want us to do is, reinvest again in like funding this highway expansion between Kenosha and Racine so people could have access again like there's no metrics that I have seen that this is succeeding why are we moving forward with this expansion um could have had the KRM commuter train but anyway (laughs) right right but yeah like in terms of what happens if Foxconn fails like I I am afraid that we're going to be bankrupt as a community. I'm I'm afraid that our population is going to massively dwindle. Um, I'm not sure how we are going to recover from something like this. So it's like a death blow, and I assume since there's no way uh, local government can repay uh, that the state ends up being uh, have, having to, but they may do it in a horrible way. They might even do what you do in Michigan, where literally they take away Democrat government in return for taking over bankrupt governments, right? Right, right. I, yeah, I've, I have heard that if Mount Pleasant fails, if Racine County like bankrupts, the state would come in, right? And that that is a very scary 
um, thing to imagine because, you know, Racine has been decimated by, in my opinion, right-wing attacks, right? And, pe and, and not having uh, watchdog-type politicians in our community and just and you've seen what these local governments do is just a lot of these local officials are not very well educated or not asking the right questions. They don't have good information. They don't anyway. have good information. They can't get to Terry Gao, right? right. And WEDAC just says, oh, everything's great. We negotiated this fantastic deal. And so do all the state's uh, alleged business leaders. Right, right. And then, like, when you do have good elected officials, um, you know, a lot of them work full time. Um, well, right. This is real democracy. Right, right, right. New right. England style. We don't have, uh, and knowing the Racine County Board, like we don't have any staff that would accommodate. Like if I wanted to write a, a you know, a, a bill or a ordinance change or whatever, like I would have to do all that on my own. I would do all the research on my own, and it's just, um, you know, have to go through our lawyers. It's just we don't have the support and we don't have the ability to essentially bring on this full-on resistance. Um, to something like as big as uh, Foxconn. It's very scary how so currently we are, and that's because our 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 counties have been decimated by right-wing state attacks. You're totally outgunned. Right. Local officials have an obligation to protect the current and the future of the area and aren't in a position to do so. And now this incredibly risky uh, scheme has been launched f as a re-election scheme for Governor Walker right. and for Donald Trump. But they're not going to be left holding the bag. Uh, we said last week on Battleground Wisconsin that Scott Walker has now got a job pushing for a constitutional convention on a balanced <laughs> budget. So he's all just fine and dandy, but Racine is on the hook for his little ploy. Big ploy, I should say. It's not little at all. Right. And like the Republicans are in a very, I guess, I would say, I would argue a good spot because like if it fails, be like, wow, like... This is what happens when you elect a Democrat. That's what they came out of the box. Boston Fitzgerald right. and said that Evers before, had apparently in two weeks when they said it destroyed the whole business climate for the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> and that's why Foxconn was leaving. Right, right. And see, that's the other thing, too, that when we had um, this is my concern. That one of the things I brought up when I ran for mayor was that, um, you know, we know what happens when we we let corporations come in. And, uh, you know, we had our 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 Democratic uh we have Democratic colleagues who are voting for this corporation. And, you know, it's hard to make the case when when, when this project fails, and I think it will, um, I hope it doesn't, but I, I, in my gut feeling, I think it will. It's going to fail, and then people are going to be pissed. And then the Republicans, they always do this. They're going to spin it like, well, the, Democrat, it, the Democrats were on board, too. They were also part of this problem. And or they caused it to fail. They it was working it, great right, until... Right, yeah, yeah. and like... Again, we're going to be in the situation where we're re-explaining ourselves to you know working people, people who are fed up with the two-party system, and it's just it just makes the 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 argument that we're trying to help folks um, harder in the long run. And we only have a couple minutes left, but I want to get uh, my speculation. Feel free to disagree. Mm -hmm. You're like on the ground, right? You're doing this work. That part of the problem progressives have is is that we don't have compelling alternatives so foxconn's right. the only big game changer in town we don't we haven't really moved a green new, new deal for example counter option that's real to people which would we know based on economic numbers would produce five six seven times more jobs for a purpose and not be dependent upon one the decisions of one big right. nefarious corporation uh, do, do you what is your sense of that of that supposition on my part i i agree with it totally um I think that 
um, being, um, in my opinion, what progressivism means to me is just like having progressive, uh, you know, ideas and like how do we change the game and when it comes to how we do business. And I think investing in like real small uh, businesses, real small, uh, you know, people who live in the community. I think investing in them and like supporting their their you know their their hustle. I think that would have been a much better idea. And like you said, like investing in the Green New Deal. Like when we're working on like uh, public works projects that fixes not only fixes our community but employs our community, I think that would have been a lot a, a better way to go about this. And this all puts to the lie the idea that there's no money, right? Look how nearly a billion dollars was generated by local government <laughs> and right. three bill over three billion by the state. Now it's locked up in ways that's hard to do productive things with it, but that's where our creativity needs to come in. Right. I think we need to take there, and we we have to close with this. But I don't know if I think we need to. Uh, well, I think so we don't have the money. We need to say, yeah, we have the money, but we need to invest it on behalf of people in in productive ways that produce the most jobs with the largest number of people and in things we need, like to prevent a climate catastrophe, or healthcare, education, things like that. Right. But anyway, we, we will have, we'll probably have you check back in on Battleground Wisconsin, Fabi, because uh, this cool. is going to be an ongoing. I suspect this is going to stay alive at least in November 2020 because they're sticking around for Trump. <laughs> I'm sure they will. But uh, the, it'll just be the same old, same old. And by the way, uh, this is all about them. The problem with a big corporation like this is, is that, I mean, this symbol, symbolizes it better. We kind of get lost in GM and their local or a local company. Right. It's so clear that Foxconn has no connection to Racine County and could care less what happens to Racine. I would, I would agree with that. We statement. need to be a little bit sharper about that, a lot sharper. Not a little bit, a lot sharper right. about that. A lot sharper. I would also agree with that. <laughs> so we're thrilled to have you on staff, and we're thrilled to have you ha have our on-the-ground expert on Foxconn. So thanks a lot, Fabi, and we'll, we'll have you back soon. Thank you for having me. And that's this week's Battleground Wisconsin. We'll be back next week, we hope, with the full panel live. And we'll be getting close to the budget hearings at that point. So hopefully there'll be a lot of exciting developments here in Wisconsin. Until next week, thanks for joining us.